Welcome to the Culture of Safety podcast. Like that. Do it. You know, make it interesting. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the environmental side. So everybody knows that a lot of people, when they fall into safety, we have occupational safety. We have, you know, the health side. And one of the new things that they're adding onto our our package is they're adding the environmental side. And it's, I'll be honest with you, it's just like safety. It's just like health. It's a whole, a whole other branch and it's another rabbit hole that a lot of those tools that we have to utilize in our in our day-to-day repertoire is making sure we know how to manage all the different things. So dealing with hazardous chemicals, hazardous waste management, um, just separating our waste streams and stuff like that. And so we actually have another guest on today. His name is Dave. Dave, tell us a little about yourself. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am uh, Dave Lee. I am employed with the Kern County Public Works Department here in Bakersfield, California. Been with them since 2003, and through my county career, I've worked in a, f- a few different roles. One of them, as, as, you, as we're going to talk about a little bit here, is uh, working at the Household Hazardous Waste Facility, where they collected residential hazardous materials and also uh, commercially related business material. Now I work in the waste management landfill recycling portion of our of our department, and part of my duty is, as part of the permitting process, is doing environmental review, which involves... CEQA and environmental analysis. And so that's kind of where I I fit into this. I do sit on a safety committee for our department as well. So we do a lot of, you know, analysis and especially going on right now with uh, coronavirus. And in the past, uh, we just, it's a very unique operation. There's, there's a lot of heavy equipment. There's a lot of personnel, there's restrictions on, you know, traffic and, you know, storage times and all these things. So um, yeah, a lot, a lot to get into. Thank you guys for having me on. Oh yeah. Our pleasure. One of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about and one of the things that I learned when I was going through school for, you know, the environmental side was that when we got to the waste management, you know, it's, I guess we're just so, you know, used to the way that we have things now is that we didn't really realize or remember what it was like, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Back in the day, they didn't have proper waste management. It wasn't like you just took your trash, brought it out to, you know, the disposal and then they had a a dump truck pick up everything, right? Literally, people would just throw their trash anywhere they wanted. You know, that's where a lot of the pollution of our oceans came from, and a lot of the pollution, a lot of a lot of countries still do that. But a lot of the the waste management we had before was just oh, just throw everything you know outside into a giant pile, and eventually somebody would come and pick it up, hopefully. And so, obviously, with the advent of you know the environmental you know um, revolution. In the 60s and the 70s, that's when we kind of decided, hey, we need to manage this a little bit better because obviously we have a lot of resources and we don't want to just waste them. And so one of the things I kind of want to talk about is obviously the household. You know, that's one of the things that I learned about my household is all the amount of waste. I think I think is the EPA stated that you have like, what, four and a half pounds of waste generated per person per day. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a like a really small number but if you if you look at it and you kind of think I'm like man every week you're throwing over you know 20 30 pounds of trash plus every member of your family so it's really important for us and one of the few things i know a lot of people don't know about is like what david used to work with is the household you know hazardous waste management you know taking those paints and lubricants and all these extra you know chemicals and and materials where do we where do we store them do we just throw them in the trash 
or do we take it down? You know, there's a location here in Bakersfield where we're supposed to take them and and get it properly treated so that way it's inerted before we put it back into the, the landfills or we can reuse the, the materials too. Yeah. So I know Dave, like, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we know that you, you had some experience. So tell us about yeah, how that so worked out for you guys. Eight and a half years out of my county career, as I mentioned, I worked in a special waste facility, which is just a, a destination for household and commercial waste. And essentially it's a really controlled environment, right? We have residents that are coming in with their paints, their pesticides, pool chemicals, cleaners, variety of things, anything that's flammable, toxic, corrosive, whatever it may be, they're bringing them to our controlled facility where we package, we store, um, we consolidate, we have an environmental contractor that actually would come pick up the material and send it to a recycling facility, send it to an incineration, um, some sort of neutralization process if you're working with uh, acids and bases. And then you also did the commercial side of things where you know the you, you can get lost in the regulations, right? As far as being a large quantity, a small quantity generator. But in essence, we were taking uh, hazardous materials from commercial entities and that could be anything from epoxies to oxidizers to everything in between and same process it's just it's it's categorized it's packaged it's shipped it's labeled all those things and the interesting part i think about looking at the environmental side of things is just how how deep into the regulations you can actually get right because there's federal regulations that say what's hazardous and what's not you look at the california standard very different from the federal a little bit more enforceable and a little bit more stringent here in california you know, when it comes to like non-ricker waste, but then you also can get to the local ordinances too. So you have these multiple layers of compliance that businesses and residents need to need to be aware of. And I think that's one job as, you know, public servants is to begin educating intel and inform businesses and residents about what's going on. And so that's, that's um, essentially eight and a half years, you know, but the interesting part about what we did is that Year after year, the industry developed a little bit more. They found out a little bit more about like how um, home pharmaceuticals are affecting water bodies. And then we started collecting those to keep those out of the waste stream. We ended up learning more about like, um, you know, like home generated sharps. We're learning more about solar panels now. We're learning about electronic waste, like what's in your TVs. And if that stuff gets into the waterways with the lead and copper and the different types of heavy metals that can impact, you know, overall health uh, standards. So, it's, it's a really interesting industry. Um, obviously, I've been out of it for a few years. I'm still involved here and there, but I think you guys are right when you, when you talk about there's a lot of education that needs to be done. And I think in general, the public, the, the resident tries to do the right thing. Yes, they, we do end up finding a lot of this stuff in the trash that goes to a landfill. We do find it in our green waste bins. We find bottles of pesticides and paint cans in our green bins that, that we recycle our, our grass clippings and trees and brush. But I think it's just a work in progress as just every government agency learns how to manage and, and educate the, the public out there. Yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be quite of a challenge because uh, Matt and I, we, we deal with like our employees. We only have, uh, you know, a finite amount of employees that we have to deal with 
But on the other hand, for someone like you, obviously you you don't have like you don't get to sit the whole city down and have a little conversation. Hey guys, <laughs> this is what we need to do. Everybody kind of learn how to separate your trash, right? It's exactly. not like you can all sign a little piece of paper saying I took this training. It's you know some some people are going to get it, and unfortunately, a lot of people aren't. And I think that's the hard part is learning how to change the culture to where people will realize the the things that do impact our our society, the things that do impact our our natural resources because they are finite and it's not like we have billions of pounds of copper just lying around and like you said a lot of tvs do have you know nickel cadmium all these heavy uh, metals that do like you said leach into our water tables and then guess what guess who's drinking all that we are and you know i'll be honest with you when i when i first became a safety guy you know i was i heard about the environment oh yeah environment environment okay well that's that's for the hippies and the the liberals oh that's that's something i ain't got to worry about but then you know when i started taking the classes for my masters i thought okay well it's, maybe this is, has something to do with it and i think it wasn't until i read read that book you know silent spring by rachel carson i mean she really just lays it out perfectly and how even something as, as simple as pesticides are being spread all over the place and obviously, you know, it gets into the worms. The worms are eaten by like the chickens and then who eats the chicken? We do or fish. Even worse, right? The runoff from the, the pesticides run, in, uh, run into the lakes. The fish uh, are, are literally, you know, not say drinking the water, but they're they're being they're living in it. yeah they're living in it, and then obviously it diffuses into their into their gills, and it gets uh, deposited into their meat. So literally, you're getting a secondary exposure from these chemicals that you would never have in and or around your kids, right? You know DDT and stuff like that. And so that's kind of like the I always tell people that's the, like the doorway for me. It was once I read that book, I was like, oh wow, so. So there's an actual point to this. It's not just, oh, yeah, this is hippie stuff and, you know, global warming, but it's more like we need to be more responsible with the materials that we have and learn how to be more creative with the ways that we're using our resources. And so that's that's what's kind of interesting using that type of mentality and using it at your work, because now I know, Matt, you do this, but we we learn how to only use certain chemicals that we can either have reduced hazards or that yeah, obviously it's a little bit that, more that you, uh, yeah, you know eco-friendly yeah silent spring and rachel carson is because and so i think you, you know that book led to a lot of you know thought within our community it led to a lot of industry to change their ways but it also led to a lot of regulation right to say maybe things that we are creating actually do have an impact on human health there's there's yeah. an impact to public health and safety and long-term exposure and that you know that kind of led the way when you look at waste management you you look at like the clean water act of the, of the 70s is what really spawned the creation of safe management of waste materials right and then that moved into um, federal air standards and that moved into a state agency where they're like hey let's look at manufacturing and building and engineering landfills rather than just using what we used to do is burn dumps. Joey, you had mentioned earlier that you literally would just go to the side and just dump your stuff. And that's exactly what happened in the 50s and 60s here, even in Kern County and, and statewide, you'd have a completely yeah. large trench just built. People would back up, dump your waste into it. And when it got full, you'd literally light it on fire. You'd actually burn your waste. And it was everything that we generate now can you imagine burning that and sort of the, the the emissions and the smoke and the hazard from that? And now you have all these materials that have been sitting in the ground for 50, 60 years, you know, obviously a potential to contaminate groundwater and, you know, the wildlife and vegetation, everything around there. So as waste, as the industries have evolved, as regulations have evolved, 
evolved as more information is out there about the nuances and the environmental risk associated with this, departments and you know county administration, city administration, state agencies, and also private industries has has had to adapt to that as well. And so, yeah, you're right. It's it's what started off as a book has really created a big industry push to be a lot more safer as you as, as you and Matt talked about, trying to find out ways to reduce the risk, reduce the exposure, and find at least engineering methods to do the same work, but in a different, safer fashion. That could come in the form of um, you know, chemical safety or just personal safety. So yeah, I think there's there's a big waterfall effect from one book or from one regulation that really set the tone moving forward for a lot of industries. Yeah, it's it's really hard, especially I know uh, Matt. I'm sure you'll you'll enlighten us a little bit more on this. But being a, like a large quantity generator, it's it's much more difficult because the the amount of materials that you guys are are utilizing, right? Because if I'm at a house or I'm a small business generator, I mean, it's just literally just okay. Well, I can just take this and walk it, you know, maybe not walk it, but drive it down to the little facility. They'll ask me some questions. I'll fill out some paperwork. They'll figure out what it is and where to, where they need to send it. But obviously, you guys don't have that luxury, right? <laughs> you have to manage that. You, it's not like you can just go. Okay, well, we have eighty thousand gallons of lead paint. Cool. We'll just dig a hole in the back of the the land and we'll just start putting dumping it in there right i think it'd be awesome if we loaded up some of our semi trucks and just drove them over to dave when he was working at the uh the local shop drop off these huge totes like, of just hazardous waste we're like yes we're a small business generator and you're like yeah how many how many gallons of uh, lead do you have uh nine hundred thousand. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I do work for a large quantity generator, and mainly that's because of the uh, it's non ricra it's it's oil in California is considered a hazardous waste, mm -hmm. which is mainly what uh, is mainly what we're producing on the hazardous waste side. But we have all types of different waste streams, like you said. We do have like uh, paint, of course, is another hazardous waste. But uh, we have tons of different types of waste streams, and those are all things that we have to identify. We have to look at how are we controlling these things, where are they going when they're done, how are we disposing of them, who's disposing of them, from cradle to grave is what yep. we always have to think about. And uh, luckily for us, we only have so many waste streams, but that's some of the stuff that I know I, I wanted to talk to Dave about was he has to deal with, who knows, almost an unlimited amount of different types of waste probably uh, where he works at his facility. And so being able to determine what to do with all these different types of waste and how to keep, because you have, you have, you still have employees that are dealing with these waste that work for this, the county, right? right. They're, they're being exposed they're to, to the hazards. It, right? So how do you guys deal with those types of issues? Because for my employees... I know what's coming in before they ever gets to them. Yeah, it's, it's well a really unique situation. We have these plans in place and we have all these things in place. But for you, I, you probably don't know what's coming in until it's there, right? We knew exactly right? what was coming in, whether it was by appointment. Residents knew exactly what to bring to us. When you go to a landfill, I'm going to say it's it's not uncontrolled, but it's semi-controlled, right? Because it is open to commercial. It is open to residents. And some of them know the rules. Some of them don't. And so you do have this work in progress. Yeah. And so when you do have a, a generator of waste coming in, maybe they're doing a, a cleanup for a demolition of a house or they're doing a construction project in the oil field, right? Those are going to have two very different distinct types of characterizations of waste when they come in. One could just be all drywall, um, cardboard, and wood and sheet metal. The other one could have, you know, a bunch of different oil contaminated, you know, um, pieces of equipment or any sort of that residual that has grease or, you know, any of those type of things. And so, yeah, we have a process that if a generator has questions about whether they can bring a certain waste to the landfill, 
they contact our office and we actually have what's called a waste acceptance plan. And it's all based on different chemical constituents. It's based on different thresholds. And what we require them to do is, remember, it's on the generator, right, to determine the status of your waste. Is it non-hazardous? Is it hazardous? Is it, um, you know, is it a medical waste? Is it this? Is it that? So you have to determine that. And then we get those results and we analyze mm. to see which one of our landfills that can actually go to if it meets a certain threshold. And so we have a, a process where we send them to a laboratory. They demonstrate the results. And sometimes it's acceptable. Sometimes it's not. If it's not, we send them to like a class two landfill where they can't where, you know, like a like locally, it'd be like Clean Harbors, a, a facility in McKittrick. It can be a, you know, Holloway landfill. So there's a lot of different options, you know, but yeah, it's it's really difficult, Matt, when you have sort of this unknown, you know, reason. That's why we have very qualified spotters and we have individuals out there that are what we call load checking. And so they're looking at different loads that are being uh, deposited for burial and they're going through and they're, they're looking at these types of waste to make sure that we're not, you know, knowingly accepting any sorts of uh, chemicals, uh, one for the safety of the employees, but also two, we have ours, just like you guys are regulated as small and large quantity generators. We ourselves are also considered a generator of hazardous waste. And so we have somebody we have to report to. We, just like you reporting to the Coupa, the Coupa inspects us as well. And so we also work, yeah, yeah, we, we work mm. even though it's, it's a, yeah, <laughs> Coupa Trupa. Yeah, so it's like we, we have yeah. a lot of the similar you know, inspections yeah, and regulations Koopa, like we have Koopa to comply Koopa. with. And no, so, I know Coupa. <laughs> um, but yes, it is to a large degree a bit of unknown when you work in the landfill industry and waste management. But I think you have very qualified engineers. You have a lot of people with a lot of experience in the field that can really recognize when somebody's telling you the truth, not telling you the truth, or just how loads look. You know, we, we've seen year after year, several people try and quote, bury their waste in the middle of their load. So they'll put something at the bottom and then they'll bury like a 55 gallon thing of paint right in the middle. Then they'll wrap it in carpet. We'll do all these things. You know, it's a, it's a lot of effort to not be in compliance. Yeah. Know? So, but those are Heck all yeah. things we've learned over time. It's information we can share with our office well, yeah. and you with can... our field staff as well. Yeah, like like I said, when we're, I mean, you know as well as I do when we're dealing with chemicals, right? And you you can just imagine as a as a manager you have a procurement right it's not like random random chemicals are coming out to your job site and if you've ever been to exactly. any you know large facility they usually have some type of you know a system where if you're going to bring in chemicals they have to be processed through you know either procurement or safety department so they can verify okay well these are the chemicals they're bringing on site are they reactive that's the biggest one is obviously flammability and reactivity because obviously if we're having chemicals mix inside of the landfill that's when we're going to have huge explosions or even worse i know that we've had um scenarios where you know stuff stuff gets exposed to the drivers the vehicle operators right it's a lot of the stuff isn't isn't really filtered out. I know a lot of people throw out some pretty gnarly stuff. They're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to drive this down to the, the local dump. I'm just going to throw it in the trash can and let them handle it, right? And so it's really important for us to just understand that obviously this has an impact. And I know a lot of safety people, like I said, is trying to change people's minds that, yeah, even though we're safety and health, environmental is a huge, huge aspect. And like I said, we're we're kind of lost control specialists, and that's a huge way to get lots of fines, right? And we're not even talking about you know animals or anything like that, but 
just just the chemicals and the materials that we're getting rid of within our businesses, we need to make sure that their the so waste it, streams we, are separated properly it's interesting and then we expo- nobody dispose that I've of them within our within our community appropriately. How did you get right? in? Like, How did you even no, get no into this really type of field? It's, it's a field Dave? literally that everybody I work with just simply falls into. Right. It's you can't go to school and you can't go to the University of Waste Management. You're not going to get a degree in recycling. You're not going to get a degree in waste management. It's it's something that doesn't exist. And so we utilize engineers and environmental specialists and chemists and biologists and people that work in public administration and accounting to make the industry work. And so um, how I fell into it was simply I knew somebody who worked with the county. He offered me a part-time job. It was just supposed to be a nine-month stint. And I said, sure, I'll take it. And I was working at a transfer station. I was operating equipment. I was dealing with the residents day in and day out. And that led me to a full-time job offer with with the county of Kern and eventually went back and got my bachelor's degree in public administration, followed that up with a master's degree in public administration, and eventually sort of shifted from the field of hazardous material into more uh, permitting, compliance, regulatory interpretation. And that has led me to a little bit of safety, a little bit of environmental compliance as well. And so again, it's, it's sort of this weird transition where every time I talk to somebody who's like, did you ever think you'd be in waste management 20 years after you started with the county? And people are like, no, I, I, you know, you have friends that are engineers that, you know, that work at Caltrans that are building roads and bridges and other people are building hospitals. And we have engineers that are designing and running and, and manufacturing landfills. Right. And we, we, just, we have individuals that have like geology degrees that, you know, review all of our, the impacts to groundwater and, and monitor our landfill gas systems as well. And that's all design. That's all geology related, all engineering related. So that's sort of how I got into it, but it is, it's just a weird, a weird collection of individuals that just have a little expertise and we just you know we we fine-tune that to 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 match our needs for waste management Well, it's, it's really good. Like, like I tell people, most people kind of the same industry here, most people don't fall into safety, you know, I'm sorry. Most people don't go to school for safety. It's, <laughs> it's something after you fall into, you're like, Oh, I never knew that this field was ever existing. And I know Matt, Matt's smiling over here. Cause you're saying engineer a lot. And that's, that's his goal is one day he wants to be an engineer. No. I'm not sure if he wants to drive trains <laughs> or if no, he wants to, if he wants to design landfills, I'm not sure he hasn't, he hasn't really exposed uh, that part of what kind of an engineer he wants to be. But, um, I think it's I think it's perfectly uh, perfectly accurate to say that you know a lot of people who have these talents and that we do need their expertise and understanding how all these things will will you know interact and they need to be you know obviously like you said regulatory making yeah, sure that we're following them. I know one of the things that you talked about was uh, CEQA. Is there any type of, you know, information CEQA that you can give some of our listeners about, you know, you know, the California Environmental uh, Qualities very, Act or CEQA? Strict. You know, there are specific guidelines you have to follow. But at the same time, if you understand how the Environmental Quality Act works, you can realize and come to come to terms that it's actually a quite flexible regulation where you can really find ways of complying with environmental regulations while at the same time being able to move forward with your different projects, with your industry. For example, we we do a lot of environmental review and CEQA for our burn dumps, as I mentioned earlier. So we're going through and we do different things like 
essentially CEQA involves an analysis of 20 different environmental resources, right? You have like air quality, you have biological, you have wildfire, you have greenhouse gas, you have geology, you have housing and population you often have to analyze. Uh, parks and recreation is in there. Um, there's so many other ones. I'm not off the top of my head. Cultural and tribal cultural resources is also on there. And so when you look at a when you look at like a construction project, operating a landfill, remediation of these old, you know, even potential Superfund sites, everything that we do has some sort of impact on the environment, right? Either we're creating a little bit more <clears throat> air pollution because of the diesel equipment that we have. Maybe we are uh, doing some some grubbing and clearing. So there's going to be some impact to the native habitat yeah. in vegetation, which is going to have an impact on the actual species. There is so many different angles you can look at that. And the cool part about CEQA is that it's it's very unique because it's it's based on project by project. So what you do at one landfill or one burn dump isn't going to be the same at say something on the east side of Kern County versus the western and valley side of Kern County. There's very different regulatory um, issues at play. There's different jurisdictions from like water board, from air districts to different state agencies that find an interest in the work that you're doing in there. So um, it is a really great tool. It is definitely, it's, it's definitely a complex process, but um, the more you work through it, the more you can understand how it is. I, I think it's a really good tool to allow you to kind of move forward, lessen and reduce your impacts on the environment by also with, with also um, maximizing the contribution to your industry or whatever, um, you know, project that you're working on. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in Oxnard and right there along alongside the Santa Clara River, there used to be a landfill there. Well, actually, there was two landfills. And I remember, you know, I, I obviously as a kid, I never really thought anything. Oh, OK, you know, a bunch of seagulls over there and they fly in and you set a bunch of trash and you kind of bury it, whatever. And then when I was probably in high school or became like a, a young adult, that's when I noticed that like they're they're placing houses and and now there's actually a golf a uh, 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 golf course on top of this like literally landfill. So if you buy this house out here in Oxnard, like five six hundred thousand dollar home, your home sits on top of an actual, I guess, landfill. And so I was wondering, how does it, how do you guys, yeah, every, every like, landfill, I mean, actually, how do we, anything that we throw out, into our curbside, we have all this hazardous waste or not hazardous waste, but we have all this, you know, waste, doesn't right? it generate methane and, and all this other stuff while on, it's still under there? Cause you know, it's still decomposing, I'm sure till this day, right? In there based on even the amount of precipitation that you may get in your area, right? We're really dry here in Kern County. So we don't, our, our stuff decomposes at a really slow rate. Um, you, you add water to things and they tend to decompose a lot quicker, right? Um, and so the decomposition process is very unique from one landfill to the other. It could be even here in Kern County, if we have a, a landfill here in Metro Bakersfield versus Shafter, even though the climates are similar, humidity, rainfall, all those things play a factor. And so you're right, Joey, as <clears throat> the age of the landfill gets older and older, yes, you're going to have more decomposition, but over time you continue to generate sort of that methane gas. The cool part about every engineered landfill now is that there are landfill gas systems to control the amount of 
pull that they're doing on the methane, because there has to be a certain amount within the atmosphere there. Um, you don't want to create a fire, which is which happened with a lot of landfills, not any in Kern County. But yeah, essentially, when you decide that a landfill's done, it's it's reached capacity for for whatever reason, whether you've filled it up, whether you've met a time frame, whether a city or state says you can only operate this landfill for 20 years. Once you hit that landmark, you have to go through what's called closure. And there's a lot of different uh, technical reasons why you do that and a lot of different prescriptive ways in order to close a landfill. But yes, at the end of the day, we have these large acred landfills. I mean, we have landfills that range from 14 acres to 229 acres here in Kern County. Okay, That's a large amount of space that you maybe don't want vacant for the eternity, right? And so what you've talked about in Oxnard and also um, the, the state agency allows this with a lot of places. A lot of people don't know in the, the new San Francisco 49ers stadium, that area with all the construction, everything, there's a landfill smack dab in the middle of that thing. It's been completely um, um, remediated in the sense of <clears throat> they have all the control measures in place. So if there's, they have, um, there's different things like light posts, you know, on parking lots, they actually have landfill gas sensors and methane sensors incorporated into that. And so a lot of people think if you're repairing a light fixture, they're actually taking a landfill gas measurement there, you know? And so there's a lot of different ways you can use it as a golf course. We see a lot of landfills and old burn sites that are being used for solar panels now. Um, there's different ones where you can pave over it. And I've seen oh, wow. tennis courts and basketball courts and gyms placed over landfills. And again, it, it all goes back to the engineering side of things. How do we control the exposure that's still obviously within that landfill? So yeah, there, there's a lot of cool end uses for a lot of these landfills. And mostly what happens is that most landfills are going to stay vacant. You're not going to do anything with them. You're just going to make sure that, you know, everything's encaps encapsulated. But at the end of the day, when in, when, urban development encroaches on that, that's when usually cities, states, and counties really have to start recognizing, okay, how do we, how do we manage this while keeping the residents safe? And that, that's not an uncommon occurrence. Oxnard, Orange County is a perfect example where there's obviously a lot of development and housing going on, and they just slowly creep next to a landfill. And that's something that operators are aware of because there's odors and there's different impacts associated with landfill uh, activities, a lot of traffic, a lot of heavy duty trucks. And so um, that's one thing that we always try and stay mindful of. So yeah, I mean, solar panels, golf courses, yeah. shopping centers, there's so many different things that people have used uh, that kind of sit on top of old landfills. It's, it's actually pretty incredible when you start thinking about it. Yeah, I guess it becomes like an out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And, you know, even nowadays when I drive by, you know, my, my wife, she's never, she, she didn't know anything about it. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, you see this. She goes, wow, look at these expensive, super beautiful houses. And then I throw in the fact like, oh, yeah, that's on top of a, a, a you know, built on top of garbage. a landfill. <laughs> and she goes like, what do you mean? I'm like, believe it or not, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I don't know how many years now, but it was, you know, obviously many years ago now, it used to be People throw their trash there, and she goes, "Wow, that's it's really it's really interesting." And like you said, I think it's because a lot of people don't want to see that. You know, the whole NIMBY, not in my backyard kind of mentality. They don't want to drive down down the road and oh, look at this giant ball of trash next next to my home. 
And so when they when they finally do put grass and dirt and all this other stuff over it, it's just really interesting to see how <laughs> how all that changes the landscape. And you would never know unless you obviously live there for for the amount of time that, you know, it's been there. You would never know that those those landfills would be there. And I'm sure I'm, I mean, I, I didn't know that about the San Francisco one. that's kind of cool. That just gives me another reason to not like 49ers. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Trash, plash, playing on top of trash, I guess. I don't know. Um so do you have any hints or, or tips for us as either small uh, quantity generators or or even for household waste? I know we've already kind of talked about not throwing, you know, our chemicals and our and our, you know, mixed mixed um, recyclables into the trash. Unfortunately, I live in Shafter and we don't we don't have such a system. So it's kind of frustrating seeing because yeah, at my I household, think, I think when I mow the lawn, I don't have green waste. My green waste is going to co-mingle with in the waste industry, any right? other waste. And I'm, I'm sure that people throw car batteries away and stuff like that. Green how, how can we, we are, how can we better manage that? Do you have any tips for us for better managing our household waste? That has to go somewhere, right? It has to go to a compost facility. It has to go to a, a different facility for processing. So we do see car batteries. We see brake drums. We see tennis shoes. We see tennis rackets. We see, um, Everything that you can think of that should be going into your trash often ends up in like a blue cart for recycling or even a green bin. And you have to remember on the other side of you dumping that and contaminating that green waste is somebody who has to filter that, has to uh, has to clean that out. Also, it's got to go through different pieces of equipment like screeners and grinders and, and trommels and things like that. And so when, when you when you purposefully contaminate something that's that's causing a very a very strong issue down the road. And so one thing I would encourage people to do is to make sure that you are segregating your materials properly. That'd be only recyclables in there, only green waste. Everything else can go in the trash unless it's a hazardous material, of course, to find a different way of, of disposing that legally. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things when you think of how, right, recycling, for example, it's in everybody's mind, yes, we should be recycling. And I agree. Put as much cardboard, as many plastics, as many glass, aluminum, paper, as much of that organic material that we can. Great. But you have to remember, it's a very resource-intensive process to collect all that stuff, right? You have another trash truck that has to come by your house who's picking up, who's hopefully maybe using uh, compressed natural gas. If not, they're, they're, they're um, pulling diesel. It has to go to a facility where it's being manned, and there's other equipment that has to clean that, that has to process it, that has to bundle it. That material has to get shipped on a truck to a port. That port yeah. has to go across the sea, or it gets used some here locally, right? It could be interstate commerce. It could be anything. But we have to remember that recycling at its core is a good value. Every, every company should be doing it. Every agency should be endorsing it. So when you look at the long term and the long range sort of cycle that recycling goes into, we should be doing our best to keep that as clean yep. as possible. And be just because it is so resource intense. So one other thing I would say, in, in addition to try and make sure you're managing and keeping things clean within your own household, is if there are any questions, seriously, call up any government agency, call up your, your local um, city hauler, your, your, your county organization to ask the questions about what do I do with XYZ? It may take you a few more steps, you know, or maybe an application process may even cost you a little bit more, but when it comes, you know, make sure you're doing the right thing. Every public servant I've worked, worked with has always been very, it's been such a strong advocate for the industry that they, they want to teach you, they want to do the right thing. And so I think that's one of the most important things is to make sure you're <clears> asking <throat> the questions, make sure you educate yourself 
and you know keep things clean around your house i i think that's one of the most important things Yeah, one of the things that I've uh, added because when when I do my pre-hire uh, interviews and stuff like that, we have a little process where we we teach them about safety. And at the near the end, we actually have a waste management kind of like an, a small little, just a little education. Like, hey guys, just so you know, yeah, recycling is important and this stuff. We try to give them the information so that way they are are learning as well it's it's kind of like ties into the whole value system within our company like hey we value the environment we environ we uh, value resources and so this is one thing we what we try to impress upon our, our employees as well and i think we should do that maybe more as safety professionals is not just oh hey yeah i'm, I'm gonna teach you about you know fire and all this other stuff but i think this is a good topic for a lot of us you know just to be able to spread the word and hey we we only have so many resources and you know back in the day if you if you really think about it Back in the day, everything was made from poisonous stuff. Everything was lead-based, lead-based paint, lead-based, you know, gasoline. Everything had lead in it. And it's just crazy now how, how luckily everything's made out of plastic. But like you said, a lot of that stuff is contaminated. You can't use it. it. A lot of people don't realize that plastic isn't a finite resource. You can only recycle it so many times before it's so contaminated that they can't they can't reuse it. So it's just making making everybody educated and, and helping them understand that. You know, we knew recycling is, of course, a, a very good value. We should be doing our best to try to help help out the environment. Um, one of the things that I know about you, Dave, is that you actually have your own podcast, yeah, sure. and Thanks you were actually on, the guys. first person. You yeah, had told me my, uh, when I first met you that you had a podcast, and I was like, I, podcasting had been around for years, you know, maybe a decade. But at, at that and point, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. People still do podcasts. And he's like, yeah, no, it's actually a huge industry. And it was actually, I would say, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing a podcast is because of you. So would you like to give us a little information about your podcast, Dave? Mobile industry to business, to media. We talk about healthcare, uh, how, how government and technology works. We talk about space, uh, cybersecurity, education, social media, privacy, e-commerce, aeronautics. We talk about everything, the entire spectrum of technology we talk about. So I always like to say it's like a tech grab bag show. You know, Every week you're going to get three, four, five different topics, how the technology industry is really impacting how we live and how we focus and what we do. So um, I actually one time, if, if you go over to wavesoftech.com in our search, just hit safety. And we actually had a gentleman by the name of uh, Blaine Hoffman. Uh, he's a CHSM uh, or OSHM. Sorry about that. And he joined us and, and he and he is a great technology uh, safety specialist. And he talked about data management and how we're using drones in the safety industry and the pros and cons of online training. Now, you mm -hmm. guys have talked about these things and we'll be talking about them in the future. And, you know, using technology to reduce workplace hazards, like those are the things that we sort of talked about from a safety perspective, but how technology is influencing that. So um, that that one, that may be something you guys and also your your audience is interested in checking out. But yeah, I appreciate you letting me share at thewavesoftech.com. Um, yeah, just all things tech we talk about. Uh, and it's, it's a weekly show. We, we, we come out with shows every Tuesday.
Awesome. Yeah, we're going to definitely put a link uh, in the description so that way everybody, if they are interested, they can easily go on over and, and expand their, their podcast. And that's one of the things that I've, I've noticed that when I when I start listening to podcasts, that's that's how I learn about the new podcast because I'm like, hey, I like work workflow with Adam Grant. He has a great show and I like the way that he does his presentation. He recommends another one and then I'll go listen to that one. Man, I like, I like this one too. So I think I think that kind of helps people expand their expand their their audience because if you like our show, you'll they'll yeah, like yours and always, vice always versa. So I really appreciate you industry, you coming you know, out here and, and helping us out and giving us the, more information. The, the a lot of this stuff term. isn't really we, we common word, knowledge. I know true. even I mean, even with my the knowledge do. that I do it's, have, it's I mean your your expertise and experience is way way far far out there as far as knowledge and stuff like that. And we appreciate you coming on and letting us inform us of all the stuff that you know. You know, new employees coming in. It's looking at the veterans' employees. It's looking at risk and all those things. And and waste management is very similar in that respect. You're looking at compliance and regulation and operations. <laughs> I and love talking and trash. So, yeah, always such a great time to get together and talk about it. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. TikTok. <laughs> All right, Thank you, Dave. And if you guys have any questions or you guys have comments, you can reach us at the culture of safety at gmail.com, the longest uh, email you'll ever hear. And we also have a Facebook page and a Snap book page. What? And Snap? Insta what is Snap book? Snap. We don't Insta have any of that Snap. Stuff. We have a Facebook, we have a Reddit, Insta Yelp. And we have an email. Insta, what's that new one everybody's doing? TikTok? Yeah, we have a we have a we have an Insta TikTok. We don't have a TikTok. <laughs> Maybe we should start doing that too. I'm good. You could do it. No, I'm I'm good myself. Again, Dave, thank you. We appreciate you. You guys have a good day. Take care, guys. See you guys next week. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave.